Science Faction is a show about unbelievable discoveries. Science Faction. You're listening to Science Faction. Have you ever had a bad memory that you wanted to change into something better? Today on Science Faction, we're talking about remaking memory, a recent discovery that changes the way we think about memory and maybe how we deal with bad memories in the future. This story starts in the laboratory of a Nobel laureate neurologist in Boston, Massachusetts. My name is Dr. Susumu Tonegawa. He plays the lead in this story. He, along with a small army of scientists, study the relationship between memory and emotion in mice. Their big question is, can they take old memories and tie them to new emotions? Is it possible to change the way a mouse, or even a human, feels about a memory? Well, (laughs) that's a good question. And one that we'll try to answer with help from Dr. Tonegawa today on Science Faction. I'm Andrea. I'm Dalal. This is Remaking Memory. Science Faction 101. We speak in the thousand most used words. The researchers we talk to don't. These thousand words come from... The Opera 5 text editor. Made by scientist... Theo Sanderson. <laughs> Theo Sanderson. We build on these accepted words using prefixes and suffixes. And we allow the use of numbers and names. From the names of people and places... To the names of life forms and scientific fields. We see these few little exceptions as key to bringing you stories factually and informatively. And now for the show. Dr. Tonegawa's memory experiments began many months ago in his laboratory found in the depths of the Riken Brain Science Institute at MIT. The experiments started out simply. They placed single mice into small boxes. Uh, Let them uh, explore for a few minutes. This gave the mice a chance to look around and get familiar. Then mouse will uh, form a memory of the feature of that chamber. And in that memory is a clear picture of what the box looks like and feels like. Uh, like, uh, you know, type of uh, seating and the floors and uh, some uh, ambient uh, smells and the song. The mice have formed a memory of that exact space. It's, it's called the contextual memory, memory of the physical context. Dr. Tonegawa says humans do the exact same thing, like when you visit a friend's apartment for the first time. This kind of information all gets stored in one particular part of the brain. Hippocampus, the area of the brain deep inside, uh, plays a crucial role in non-emotional aspect of a memory of uh, experience, such as uh, what happened, uh, where, and when. Whenever the mice think about this box, even without going back to it, it's this part of the brain that becomes active and lets them imagine that first picture they formed. Each time they revisit the box, they'll know pretty well what to expect. But they can also update that memory with any new information. So, when the researchers put the mice back in the box in step two of their experiment, the mice immediately recognized the walls, the floor, the smell. 
Except this time, the researchers wanted the mice to form not just a memory of the space, but also of an emotion. So they gave them a not-so-nice surprise. Mild electric shock. This place, that at first, the mice didn't really care one way or another about, has now become a place of fear. They've formed a fear memory that's related to the box. This feeling of fear in relation to the box is stored in a completely different part of the brain. But the emotional aspect associated with episodic memory is handled by another part of the brain called amygdala. Which is closely tied to spatial memory in the hippocampus. In the eyes of the mice, or I guess in their brain, the box now means fear. Bringing us to step three, putting fearful mice back in the box. The same chamber in which shock was delivered, then without giving shock this time, uh, animal will immediately show a posture of uh, fear. With their backs raised, the mice stay very still. It's called the freezing, animal freezes. In nature, when mice are in a, in a, in the forest, when they uh, sense the uh, predator, like, like a fox or a cat or something, what they do is they stay very still so that uh, they, they will not be detected. In the lab, the mice stop dead in their tracks to avoid catching the eye of the researcher and getting more shocks, much the same way they try and avoid the attention of a fox. What's happening here is that the researchers have trained the mice to fear the box, which in the words of a scientist is called context-dependent fear conditioning. Which means that the mice have been trained to be scared anytime they visit the box or even think of it. Every time you recall a memory, you're activating the part of the brain in which the memory is stored. So for the scientists to better understand how these mice feel about their memory of the box, they had to force them to recall that particular memory. They used special lab-raised mice. Genetically engineered. Whose brains were made sensitive to light, so the scientists could activate particular memories using light. Light of a specific wavelengths. Blue light, or light with a wavelength of 475 nanometers. So the light induced manipulation of a specific population of cells. That's called optogenetics which in a thousand words is the use of light to control brain cells. In this case, brain cells sensitized to blue light. Here's what they did. On the next day, you put the animal uh, to a completely different chamber. They put fear-trained mice into entirely new boxes. And watched what happened. The animal will not freeze because uh, recall cue is not there. Nothing happened, but... If you uh, turn on the light, the blue light. And the freeze. Blue light on, memory active. Blue light off, memory inactive. The scientists then took this one step further. They put fear-trained mice in new boxes with two compartments, one with blue light and one without. The mice always chose the side without blue light. There, their memories of the box would stay inactive. Could the mice ever feel differently about the box where they were once shocked? That was a big question the scientists drew out a plan. They would put the mice in completely new boxes, activate the memory of the first scary box using the blue light, while at the same time, letting the mice interact with something that usually makes them pretty happy. You let male mice 
prey with the female mice. That is a pleasant experience for male mice. They force the mice to remember the box while at the same time presenting them with lady mice. And after just one play date, it worked. And it turned out that the more recent uh, memory, emotion, uh, will dominate, so animal will be happy. In the final step of their experiment, Dr. Tonagawa's team put these now pleasure-trained mice back in the boxes with two compartments, the ones that are half lit with blue light and half not. This time, the mice chose the side with light. They wanted to remember the now happy box. I mean, why wouldn't they? Remembering the box now made them feel the same way lady mice made them feel. The scientists had managed to completely flip the way the mice felt about the box, 180 degrees, from bad to good, from scary to happy, without ever having to put the mice back in that first box. And it worked the other way around too. The scientists could also change the memory from good to bad, from happy to scary. In this flipped experiment, the scientists started out with the pleasure training and then followed up with the fear training. In both cases, they changed the emotion tied to a memory. When we heard this, we couldn't stop asking ourselves, what happened to that first emotional memory? Where did it go? So the big question here is, what happened to the memory, the fear memory, animal formed uh, area? Are we talking about wiping out an old memory and replacing it with an entirely new one? No, 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 no. Dr. Tonagawa told us we're not dealing with memory replacement, but rather redirection. Take the case of changing the memory from being bad to being good. The memory of the box and the different emotions it brings to mind are all still there, but it's the strength of the emotions that's changed. The latest emotion, in this case the good one, is way stronger, so it overshadows the bad one. We found that the fear memory is very much reduced. The two emotional memories, the degree of pressure and the degree of fear, are, in a way, fighting against each other. But it's whichever came last that wins, that the mice remember best. So now, the mice can remember the box, or even revisit the box, and they won't become totally helpless and on edge. They won't be afraid anymore. What if you could, with the flash of a light, turn your scariest memory, the kind that makes you shake with fear, into one that doesn't even bother you anymore? But is this even possible? We're talking about mice here, not humans. In order to apply this knowledge to human, particularly for medicine, there's the wrong way to go. But what if we do get there? I mean, we probably will someday. What is experimental therapy today may become approved therapy in, in, in a year or two. Well, would you really want to change the way people remember their lives? Are we not made up by the things we've done and lived? Don't we learn from our past, good or bad? For some people, the bad is just so bad that they become like the mice, stop dead in their tracks, unable to deal. For them, there's no surefire way to feel better, and the approaches that are used to help them don't always work, or at least not the way you'd expect. We try all kinds of memory and uh, method for cure, but uh, none, of, none of them work. And then we have to uh, take a little bit of a chance and uh, try, even if there is uh, some risk. In the future, 
how do we know more about the function of a brain circuit? We call this a mapping of a brain circuit. Technology may be developed so that we can directly uh, manipulate the, the specific part of the brain by physical means, like a light or some electricity or some magnetic field and so on, and then uh, treat patients rather than relying on a chemical compound. There's some, some uh, advantage of going to uh, the physical method because the physical method will target the specific area of the brain and the chemical method is you take, ingest a medicine and then it goes everywhere in the brain so it affects not only the part which is uh, which should be remedied but also some normal part of the brain will be also affected by that ingested compound so you have what is called a side effect as uh, time goes by, uh, we may be able to uh, invent more targeted therapy. The purpose of this is to improve the therapy for the patients who suffer from uh, brain disorders, including uh, memory disorders. But how do we decide, and who decides, when using this approach is justified? Where do we draw the line? What will be okay that depends on the consensus in the society. In terms of use of this technology uh, into the future, we have to have a strong ethical principle applied so that it will not be misused. And I'm not sure uh, whether this technology should be used for the normal people. What's normal and what isn't is a hard idea. For Dr. Tonegawa, this approach should only be used for people who can't deal with hard pasts, if at all. But because everyone thinks about what's normal in different ways, it wouldn't be easy to decide who gets this type of care. These are the kinds of questions it would be good to have answers to before this becomes a reality. They are the kinds of questions that always come with discoveries in science, but don't always get the attention they need. Researchers often consider them, but they usually get overshadowed by the importance and the excitement of the discoveries themselves. So it's a question of how uh, we control the use of the technology and the knowledge. There will be a more uh, leeway uh, in the use of it when we come to treating a patients, but there should be a much strict, stricter rule in using those technology to normal people because normal people is good enough. Most of them are living an okay life. That's where we're going to leave it for today. But with this question hanging in the air, how do you feel when it comes to remaking memory? Hi, I'm producer Nick Schofield. Thanks for checking out episode four of Science Faction, Remaking Memory. We're done for now, but we do want to hear from you. Get in touch with us on Twitter at SciFact Radio. And search for us on Facebook. Science Faction is Dalal Hanna and Andrea Reed with sounds and music made by Nick Schofield and is supported by Jeanne Volontaire. Visit us online at sciencefaction.ca. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, thanks again. <laughs>